This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Becky Cook. Commentaries on the Gallic War by Julius Caesar. Translated by Thomas Rice Holmes. Book One, Chapters 10 to 15. Caesar was informed that the Helvetii intended to march through the territories of the Sequani and the Adui, and make for the country of the Samtones, which is not far from that of the Tolosates, a provincial tribe. He saw that, if this happened, it would be very dangerous to the province to have a warlike population, hostile to the Roman people, close to its rich and defenseless cornfields. For these reasons, he placed Titus Libinius, one of his generals, in charge of the entrenchments which he had constructed, hastened to Italy by forced marches, raised two legions there, withdrew three from their winter quarters in the neighborhood of Aquileia, and advanced rapidly with all five by the shortest road leading over the Alps into further Gaul. The Citrones, Graiocelli, and Carteriges seized the Alpine heights and tried to stop the advance of the army. Beating them off in several combats, he made his way in seven days from Oculum, the extreme point of the Kisalpine province, into the territory of the Vocantii in the further province. Thence he led the army into the country of the Allobroges, and from their country into that of the Segusiavi, the first people outside the province beyond the Rhone. The Helvetii had by this time threaded the pass, crossed the country of the Sequani, and reached that of the Adui, whose lands they were ravaging. The Idui, unable to defend themselves or their property against their attacks, sent a deputation to Caesar to ask for help, pleading that they had at all times deserved well of the Roman people, and it was not right that their land should be ravaged, their children carried off into slavery, and their towns captured almost under the eyes of our army. At the same time, the Ambari, who were connected to the Idui by friendship and blood, informed Caesar that their lands had been laid waste, and that it was more than they could do to repel the enemy's attacks upon their towns. The Allobroges also, who possessed villages and estates on the further side of the Rhone, fled to Caesar, alleging that they had nothing left except the bare soil. For these reasons, Caesar decided that it would be unwise to wait till his allies had lost all that they possessed, and the Helvetii reached the country of the Santoni. A river called the Saone flows through the territories of the Adui and the Sequani, and discharges itself into the Rhone. Its current is so incredibly sluggish that it is impossible to tell, by merely looking, in which direction it is flowing. The Helvetii were crossing it in rafts and small boats lashed together. Learning from his patrols that about one-fourth were still on the near side of the river, while three-fourths had passed over, he started from his camp in the third watch, with three legions, and came up with the division which had not yet crossed. Attacking them unexpectedly while their movements were impeded, he destroyed a great many. The rest took to flight and concealed themselves in the neighboring woods. The clan in question was called the Tigurini, the entire Helvetian community being divided into four clans. This clan, acting independently, had emigrated within the memory of our fathers, and made the army of the consul Lucius Cassius, who was himself killed, pass under the yoke. Thus, either by accident or divine providence, that section of the Helvetian community which had brought a signal disaster upon the Roman people was the first to pay the penalty. In this action Caesar avenged a family wrong, as well as the wrongs of his country. For a general named Lucius Piso, 
the grandfather of his father-in-law Lucius Piso, had perished in the same battle as Cassius at the hands of the Tigurini. After fighting this action, Caesar bridged the Seine with the object of pursuing the rest of the Helvetian force, and thereby conveyed his army across. The Helvetii, seeing that he had effected in a single day the passage of the river, which they had accomplished with the greatest difficulty in twenty days, and alarmed by his unexpected advance, sent an embassy to meet him headed by Divico, who had commanded in the campaign against Cassius. He addressed Caesar in the following terms. If the Roman people would make peace with the Helvetii, they would go wherever Caesar fixed their abode, and would remain there. But if he persisted in his hostile attitude, he would do well to remember the disaster which had befallen the Roman people in the past, and the ancient valor of the Helvetii. Granted that he had surprised one clan at a moment when their countrymen had crossed the river and could not help them, he need not therefore exaggerate his own prowess, or look down upon them. The lesson they had learned from their fathers and their forefathers was to fight like men, and not to reply upon trickery or ambuscade. Let him not, then, suffer the place where they stood to derive its name from a Roman reverse and from the annihilation of an army, or bequeath the remembrance thereof to posterity. Caesar replied that he had no reason to hesitate, because he well remembered the events which the Helvetian envoys had recounted, and he remembered them with indignation, for the Roman people had not deserved what had befallen them. If they had been conscious of wrongdoing, it would have been easy to take precautions, but they had been deceived because they were not conscious of having done anything to justify alarm, and saw no necessity for taking alarm without reason. Even if he were willing to forget an old affront, how could he banish the recollections of fresh outrages, their attempt to force a passage through the province in despite of him, and their raids upon the Adui, the Ambari, and the Alabroges, the insolence with which they boasted of their victory, their astonishment at his having so long put up with their outrages, pointed to the same conclusion. For it was the want of the immortal gods sometimes to grant prosperity and long impunity to men whose crimes they were minded to punish, in order that a complete reverse of fortune might make them suffer more bitterly. Still, notwithstanding this, if they would give hostages to satisfy him that they intended to fulfill their promises, and if they would recompense the Aedui for the wrongs which they had done to them, and their allies, and likewise the Alabroges, he would make peace with them. Divico replied that, as the Roman people could testify, the Helvetii, following the maxims of their ancestors, were in the habit of receiving hostages, not of giving them. With this rejoinder he withdrew. Next day the Helvetii quitted their encampment, Caesar did the same, and sent on ahead all his cavalry, amounting to four thousand, which he had raised from the whole province, from the Adui, and from their allies, to see in what direction the enemy were going. Following the rear-guard too eagerly, they engaged the Helvetian cavalry on unfavorable ground, and a few of our men fell. Elated at having repulsed such a numerous body of cavalry with five hundred horsemen, the Helvetii more than once halted boldly, the rear-guard challenging our men. Caesar would not allow his men to fight, and for the time he thought it enough to prevent the enemy from looting, foraging, and ravaging the country. The two armies marched in close company for about a fortnight, the enemy's rear and our van never being more than five or six miles apart. End of chapters 10 through 15